0: Richard, what do you know about beavers? Beavers, and I've seen beavers. Beavers are wonderful characters, extraordinary animals. They have a huge flat tail, you know, at the back which is very strange to look at. In fact, long ago, back in the Middle Ages, they thought that the beaver was half a mammal and half a fish. And it meant that you could eat beaver tail on Fridays when you were forbidden to eat the rest of the beaver. Anyway, they're beautiful animals. They're all over Europe. They were never in Ireland oddly enough. And that is strange. They were in Britain and they were all over Europe. There is a beaver in North America, a slightly smaller version in Canada, it's a very successful animal until we came along and decimated the population. It's, it's, it almost became extinct in some places.
1: It's amazing how Jesuitical people were about what they could and couldn't eat on a Friday. You could eat the tail of the beaver, but not the rest of it. And nowadays, I mean, if people were to eat beaver, they'd probably be horrified to hear that the beaver is actually a rodent, <laughs> same family as rats are. But obviously, that didn't trouble people in medieval times.
2: <laughs> and I think. They knew well what they were doing as well. We heard the same story with the barnacle geese. They thought that they can their young were barnacles so they're actually a type of shellfish so they could eat the geese. They knew what they were doing. There was a, n- a knowing wink going on amongst them. We can eat the beaver tails, we can eat the geese. They and they,
1: they, they could eat whales as well yes. because whales were fish. They were they were doing bees even though yeah. whales are mammals. You know, something. It's amazing what you could do when you think you're doing something you want to do. Mm.
2: I remember my first encounter with a, a wild North American beaver. It's a different species to the one that we have in Europe but very similar I was camped once with a friend, um, and uh, by side a lake in in Manitoba, in Canada. And all of a sudden, it sounded like someone was firing a gun, and we were terrified in this remote area in our tent. And then we realized it was a beaver slapping its tail on the water. Oh, wow! It was so loud, it's absolutely incredible. So I've I've had a real uh, soft spot for beavers ever since. Well, I assume you
3: ask, why do they slap their tail on the water?
2: There must be a reason. Yes, it, it's, a, it's a it's a territorial thing. It's a way of attracting a mate, and it's a bit like a song in a bird. That's what they're doing. they're, they're showing their territory. They're trying to attract in a mate. It's I believe mostly the males that do it although the females may do it as well uh, and it was actually amazing watching it we actually actually saw one at one point gnawing and cutting down a tree that is well, a small tree, but still a tree. The thing collapsed right beside our tent and the beaver just dragged it off during the night. Absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, I'd say the meat in the tail was pretty tough if it was whacking it off the water like that. <laughs> I can
2: only
3: imagine. Anyway, as Richard mentioned earlier, they were widely hunted for their fur and their meat and they became extinct in England during the 16th century. But now they're returning to urban London. There have already been reintroductions in other parts of the UK and they're going to be in London now for the first time in 400 years and they could stop flooding, it's claimed, at a local train station. What's this got to do with us here in Ireland? Well, you could argue it has nothing to do with us. We're interested in wildlife and stories about reintroduction programmes all over the world. But it just so happens that the man leading this project is Irish. His name is Dr. Sean McCormick. He is a vet and he joins us now from his home in Ealing. Hello, Sean. How are you? Now begin by telling me how you actually came to be heading up this project, if you would.
4: Yeah, it's a bit of a a long story, but basically I'm a vet by profession. I studied in UCD in Dublin and came over to England when I qualified as a vet and really kind of a few years ago, got back to my real passion, which is nature, um, rather than, you know, just domestic pets. And I set up a group in my local neighborhood because there didn't seem to be too much going on in terms of wildlife conservation. So I set one up for myself called Ealing Wildlife Group. And we've kind of grown quite rapidly, uh, more than I anticipated. And we do a lot of conservation projects with different species in the urban landscape, things like peregrine falcons, barn owls, great crested newts. We've reintroduced harvest mice, Britain's smallest rodent, Europe's smallest rodent. And now we're moving on to uh, Britain's largest native rodent, which is the beaver.
3: Well, there's been a lot of talk about beavers in the UK in the past few years. They've been brought back here and there. Some, I believe, are even colonising of their own volition from stock that has been reintroduced. Why is it so important to bring back the beaver to Ealing in London?
4: Yeah, well, I think nationwide anyway, you know, this is a, a species that we eliminated um, through hunting and, and persecution. And it's important to bring them back because they're a vital part of the ecosystem in general. They're known as ecosystem engineers. They're quite unique because anything beaver a beaver does in the landscape actually has massive benefits for wider biodiversity, the health of our rivers, the health of our ecosystems. And I think despite what people think, beavers are not necessarily a kind of a wilderness species. We've seen in cities across the the world, really from kind of Berlin, Munich, Vancouver, that actually beavers can live in harmony with people in the urban landscape as well. Now you've hinted at that, that beavers are kind of making their own way back in the UK and we kind of have said, it's only a matter of time before they start turning up in towns and cities. So we've decided to do an enclosed, controlled beaver trial in the urban landscape to really figure out how we can live alongside them,
3: you know, without conflict. So tell me exactly your setup there. Describe the setup for me.
4: We're releasing them into an area called Paradise Fields, which is quite a cool name, (laughs) beavers at Paradise Fields. But basically Paradise Fields is um, a large site. It's about 25 acres in total. It's a kind of sunken dish or basin in the urban landscape and it's kind of surrounded by, there's an industrial estate on one side, there's lots of woods and fields on the other. um, And it acts as a kind of a a basin for water to flow through. So what we anticipate is that the beavers will actually slow the flow of water through that landscape. And um, downstream of that landscape, there is flood risk. So we're anticipating that the beavers slowing the flow of water in there will actually lead to mitigation of flooding downstream.
3: That all sounds fantastic, Sean. They'll do good in one area, but is it not possible that they could cause disruption in others?
4: Well, this is one of the things that we want to study. So we know that in very localised situations, beavers can cause issues. So just as much as beavers can slow the flow of water, they can also cause kind of flooding, unwanted flooding in some areas. But there are solutions that we can put in place. So let's say, for instance, a beaver floods um, a football pitch in an urban area what we can do is put in something called a beaver flow device um, which basically controls the level of the water behind the dam and um, we can mitigate in that way and then the other thing people kind of worry about is um, beavers bringing down trees so uh, you can actually protect trees quite well with mesh or painting with sand
1: I'm just very interested in all of this. I mean, I'm trying to compare paradise fields, if such a thing were possible, with some situation in Ireland that Irish listeners can, can compare. So you have this sort of dugout basin full of water, which is where you're putting them in from what I gathered you said to Derek. And the trees and fields are down from that. But I mean, what would be something similar, say, in the Phoenix Park or somewhere in Ireland that you could imagine the same situation happening? Because the way I think of beavers is that they have to have water to live in and they have to be able to build dams and this sort of thing. And um, they need timber for that. So you need a place where these things are available. So how does your paradise fields actually look like? What kind of an ecosystem is it?
4: Yeah, great question, Inna. I think I haven't um, painted the picture quite, quite well enough, but basically it's been described by the Beaver Trust, which are a charity over here, as possibly one of the best sites they've seen in London for beaver um, suitability. So it's a series of meadow habitats, wet woodland, which obviously beavers love, absolutely loads and loads of willow and birch in there, which are their favourite tree species, and a series of lagoons, pools and um, reed beds. And there's two sources of water coming into the site. So what we anticipate is they'll dam those and they'll create an even more rich ecosystem of wetlands within there. So, yeah, it should be really exciting to see what they're doing over time.
1: Now, what do, what do beavers feed on? Tell us their life cycle. I mean, do they hibernate? I mean, we don't have beavers in Ireland, so you're the expert on it now. You soon will. So give us chapter and verse on, on how a beaver lives.
4: Yeah, no worries. They're quite an interesting rodent, actually. So they're the biggest rodent um in Europe. They're the second biggest rodent in the world after the capybara and um, unusually for rodents they live long time so most of our rodents we think of as living fast dying young producing loads and loads of babies and being prey for everything else but because these guys are so big they actually live quite a long time and they're monogamous so we'll be getting a pair from scotland and possibly um, a family if they have kits already but the pair will actually breed and they, ha- they live in family groups So the youngsters will stick around in the lodge, which is a large kind of collection of sticks and mud that houses them and protects them from predators. And that's normally in the middle of one of their kind of ponds or lakes. And then basically they will live in there as a family. The youngsters will live with them. And about two or three years later, those adults kind of or grown up youngsters will leave and disperse. Um, They feed just on trees and vegetation. So... Um, You've heard of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, I'm sure.
1: Indeed I have,
4: yes. Yeah. C.S. Lewis has a lot to answer for with kind of misconceptions around beavers because basically he propagated the myth that beavers eat fish, but they don't. They don't eat fish at all. They just eat plants. So what they do is they take down trees and coppice trees, mainly willow and birch, which um, is not a bad thing. I mean, we all think about trees are precious and things, but actually the way beavers harvest trees, is they coppice them at the base and then they grow back. So it means that um, you get a structural diversity of tree species in the landscape and plants in the landscape. You get more light coming in to rivers and ponds and light and photosynthesis really creates this almost biodiversity magic pill in a wetland and you get loads of things kind of springing up from that landscape. So beavers are shaping the landscape to be really rich in kind of biodiversity. And then they're eating the bark and the, the leaves And they're using the woody material to make their dams.
1: So then you're hoping then that this dam will slow the water going on further and a railway station further down along won't be in danger of being flooded because the water won't get that far. Is that the quid pro quo you reckon there might be from this?
4: That's our ecosystem services that we're hoping the beavers will provide, yeah. So the local council is willing to support us on this because they already had Paradise Fields tagged as a project that would be... um, useful for flood mitigation downstream. So there's a a central line tube station at Greenford and around that, all this kind of residential streets around that are prone to flooding. So the idea is that when a beaver creates this complex wetland, it almost acts like a sponge. Um, You know, it retains a lot more water. It slows the flow of water in flood events through that landscape. And instead of water gushing through in a matter of minutes, it can take several hours for water to pass through. So the idea is that downstream in that high risk area, beavers will slow the flow of water and hopefully, hopefully reduce urban flooding.
0: Sean, in Sweden, there are sections of the landscape which were created by beaver, which is ironic because beavers were rendered extinct there as in Britain in the late 19th century. But you can go, archaeologists document this, you can go and you can see how the beavers have created something. Is there any place like that in Britain that has been shaped by the dams and the architecture of beavers?
4: Not that I'm aware of in terms of the the kind of duration of beaver activity because we're we're only dealing with about 20, 25 years of beavers being back in Britain and they're in isolated pockets, you know. They're not kind of on large-scale river catchments just yet. So it's thought the estimates are maybe... I think it's somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 beavers in Britain. So we're not quite at the levels in Europe where I think there's 16,000 in France. There's 125,000 beavers in Poland. So we're not seeing that landscape scale change of beavers being back on kind of water catchments and things. But, you know, that time will come. And I think the, the justification for this project of seeing how they will interact with an urban river catchment is they're on their way. So let's kind of study them now. And let's see what they can do. And let's see, actually, if they are causing minor inconveniences or major inconveniences to some stakeholders around these urban areas, then what can we do to manage them better?
0: One other thing I want to ask you about is the the smelly stuff they produce, uh, which is their downfall in a way. Uh, People went for this substance, castoram. It was much sought after for bogus medical Preparations and for cosmetics. And even Pliny, the famous Roman writer of the f- first century, he endorsed this view of Castoreum. Why would a-, a rodent living in the water need something as powerful as that for signalling purposes?
4: Good question. Just to your point on kind of um, historical evidence, the archaeological evidence has shown some wetlands that were kind of created and have lots of evidence of intense and high density beaver activity but yeah the castoreum um, kind of part of the story is really interesting there is some science behind it because beavers are um, they're collecting this oily substance in their scent glands by their anal glands it's um, a substance that accumulates and it's for scent marking so it's similar to a lot of um, animals that have anal secretions anal gland secretions they use it for scent marking they use it for, as social cues and things um, in beavers because they're eating so much willow They're accumulating a compound called salicylic acid in this secretion, this castorium secretion. And salicylic acid is actually the active ingredient of aspirin that we use for pain relief and anti-inflammatory. So don't ask me how someone, you know, in history found this out, but they found that actually there were some medicinal qualities to the beavers anal gland secretion. Now, the primary reason they were hunted was for their fur and for their meat. But they found out along the way that this castorium secretion also had medicinal qualities and held perfume, just like other mammals, like produce musk, um, which is highly valued for perfume. So beavers were economically important, still are economically important in some parts of the world. Um, And one of the earliest records of beavers, kind of written records, is basically a kind of a marketplace diary entry about the price of beaver pelts. And that goes back hundreds of years, um, basically way beyond when they became extinct. So they were a valuable animal. And unfortunately, like we tend to do, you know, we over harvested and uh, took them out and caused them to go extinct for those reasons.
3: Well, just down the road from the studios here in Donnybrook is a road that runs alongside the River Dodder and it's called Beaver Row. There was a hat factory there back in the day and they used to import beaver pelts, I assume from across Europe and make beaver hats. The factory's no longer there. The old cottages are still there that were built for the workforce who actually produced these hats. It's interesting the next time you're passing through Donnybrook it's just behind the bus station which is opposite the church look for Beaver Row if you're walking and there's a lot of history there
2: anyway. Nile. Uh, just on the subject there the castoreum uh, that, that secretion from their glands I know that one of the uses um, in, in the past at least for that was as a replacement for vanilla flavouring in food so it labelled actually as a natural flavouring and didn't have to be listed in the food product I don't think it's used very much today so people don't have to worry about that but that's one of the first times I came across that particular substance So if you um, ate
1: your ice cream and your headache was relieved it could be from the salicylic acid Yeah, it, so thing?
2: yeah. If it cures the brain freeze from the ice cream that must be it no absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um, but you Sean, you, you, you mentioned there obviously that, that beavers were once native to, to Britain. They were uh, wiped out because the hunting pressure and so on. I presume wetland drainage and so on must have played a role there as well. But at the time is right to bring them back. Those pressures have been removed. But obviously other species have been lost as well. And um, when you're reintroducing a creature, you're looking at the whole ecosystem, the predator-prey relationships. Are there any natural predators of the beaver in the area or is there a risk that their numbers could grow unchecked?
4: Um, there are some natural predators. It's it's often a misconception that oh beavers won't have any natural predators because we wipe those out too. So the the very kind of dangerous predators traditionally or historically for beaver were your wolf, your lynx, your bears, the large kind of carnivores. Um, but actually, there's some evidence that um, other carnivores will take young beaver kits, things like foxes and, and the generalist predators, um, even otters, uh, large birds of prey that are being restored now, like White-tailed sea eagles that are, you know, living in wetlands will certainly take a young beaver if they can. The adults are very large and robust. You know, they can grow up to 25, 30 kilos, you know, the size of a springer spaniel or the mass of a springer spaniel. So there's not much that can take an adult out. But as I say, these are long lived and generally reproductively slow. Um, so they're not going to take over the world unchecked. Um, there may be, you know, issues in localised areas. Like on the Tay side in Scotland, they were illegally reintroduced there. It's not the right habitat for them. It's prime agricultural land. And that's actually where we're getting our beavers. We're taking beavers from there, translocating them to more suitable habitat um, where they can thrive and where the alternative would be that they would be shocked because they are flooding farmers' fields and it's just not the right landscape for them. So there will be a bit of management needed in this, but we believe really that the pros really outweigh the cons and this is an animal that can solve some of our problems with the biodiversity crisis, with pollution problems in our rivers, with um, flooding risk, um, with helping with climate change by capturing carbon into, into wetlands. So the list of positives really I think is is, um, quite large and learning to manage beavers in the landscape is something that we're going to have to do regardless.
3: Well, Sean, we wish you the very best of luck with that project and we'll see you soon. Great, lovely to talk. Thanks a lot.